This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been, it's been way too long since we talked to our good friend at Media Matters, the president, Angelo Carasone. Angelo, welcome back, man. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Great to see you also. So um, you have been giving a great deal of much needed attention. We're grateful for it to Twitter. Uh, and a lot has transpired um, before I share some of my thoughts and concerns and hopes and dreams for <laughs> what Twitter probably should cease being or cease to exist. But it kind of encapsulates for us what you have been observing. Things have gone as expected and gotten worse yeah. as we would have expected with Elon, right? Without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, basically, you know, the short of it is that he, he, he was red-pilled years ago, which is that he sort of like it's that process by which you become sort of a right-wing kind of extremist or at least a conspiracy believer. It's this idea that somehow you saw the light. And he's been a creature of these... It's not been a very... Most people didn't really realize it until recently, but he really is convinced that, like, the liberal leftist elite sort of runs all these different entities, including social media platforms. Uh, and so when he bought Twitter, one of his big things going into it was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make Twitter not like everybody else. I'm going to kind of balance out which is always a scary word when these guys, right wingers, sort of get into any position of, of ownership. But I'm going to kind of balance out the social media landscape, roll back a bunch of these policies around, you know, content moderation, all this other stuff. Get rid of the sort of liberal cabal inside the inside the organization uh, and try to turn it into something that is, you know, much more aligned with kind of his sort of conservative right wing ideology, hopeful fan base. I mean, I think his thinking was that if he turned it into sort of a free for all, that a bunch of right wingers would join the platform. That would demonstrate enthusiasm, just like Fox always brags about their ratings, right? And then the rest of it would just work out. Uh, and what we're seeing is that as he rolls back these policies, you're getting impersonation, you're getting increased harassment. You know, some companies are being impersonated, putting out <laughs> false claims, which is then leading to stock prices declining. Uh, and in the process of doing his sort of terminations, 
he's literally dismantling the inside guts of Twitter so that the code that keeps it working and operating is starting to crumble. And a lot of this is born out of his sort of mindset right now, which is that most of this is just some liberal nonsense. And if he could just make these changes, ignore the cries, that it'll work out. And that really does not bode well for the future. And to put a bow on it, and this is the part that I still find both shocking and also disturbing, and, and it also, I think, illustrates where we're going here, is that you know, the advertising community, which is where Twitter gets all of its money, walked away. I mean, and that was a, in large part because you know, a bunch of coalition, a coalition of big organizations and civil rights groups, NAACP, Color Change, ADL, they all basically said the same thing, that if, you, that if he does even a fraction of what he says he's going to do, it's going to be bad for business because it's going to increase all this harassment and abuse. Uh, and Twitter lost most of their advertisers almost pretty quickly. And I thought he would sort of calibrate that around the revenue side, but he hasn't done that yet. I think he still is hoping that he can strong arm these companies into coming back or staying. And, and maybe that's part of his plan, but that was not enough of a lever to get him to stop destroying the platform. It slowed down some things, but that's it. That's what we're observing. And, and, and it is really, really depressing. The the advertisers left, but at the same time, they were threatened by the GOP, weren't they? They, they were. Yes. Advertisers. Yeah. Tell us about that. I mean, I mean, that is a, you know, when advertisers start, and that's been, a, you know, if you notice, there hasn't been a lot of companies that have come out and said things, even though they're walking. Um, instead, you're getting these big media buyers, you know, the, the, the large entities that, that purchase ads on behalf of the individual corporations making most of the statements. And that's because after, in the first few days, after advertisers really started to escalate their departure from the platform, Elon Musk complained, threatened to go thermonuclear on them and name and shame them. But then he sort of whined that nobody was helping. And that's all of a sudden where the GOP came in. Because as they were heading into what everybody thought was going to, or many thought were going to be a red wave, this idea that there's going to retake power, you had prominent Republicans essentially saying that once they regain positions of power inside Congress, they were going to start doing investigations into, into the companies that walked away. Um, and of course, that the idea there was to dissuade them from taking an action in hopes that they stay on the platform or at minimum to stop them from commenting on it, which would then slow down, throw some sand in the gears and slow down others. And I do think it's a demonstration of the way that the right-wing media kind of interacts with the, the political power is that they get it. You know, they understand how to leverage power quickly um, and oftentimes entirely unethically. Um, you know, this, I thought, was the pro. But, you know, it, it made sense, right? If you think about it, worked for DeSantis with Disney, right? They got them a lot of accolades. I think they've really taken a big shit on, on attacking corporations and trying to, you know, because I think they see corporations as a as sort of an, a, a vanguard of change and culture. And, and they've been really aggressively pushing back on them. I, I was not surprised that they did that. I was a little disturbed by how quickly the advertisers were like, well, we don't want to say anything now. You know, we're going to be quiet. Maybe we'll do it in a couple of weeks. We're going to, we're going to pull. It really slowed. It didn't slow down their decisions. In fact, I think it made them more likely to walk, but it definitely affected the communications. They became much more paranoid, unwilling to talk on the record, unwilling to say anything. Um, and that, and that, so in some ways it was modestly effective, at least at presenting the idea that companies were slowing down their departure. Um, also, the, there's greater traffic in terms of hate speech and discrimination and racism and yeah. everything under the sun. That's, that's blown up on Twitter, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that the NAACP had pointed out was based on some studies that were done in the first few days they took over the platform 
is that you saw use of the N-word increasing by 500% on some days. Sometimes it was even scaling 1,200%. Um, and you know, part of that is expected because of what Musk had said. He promised people that this would be a, a home for them to come back and do this. So in a way, he invited people to test the waters. We saw the same thing around anti-trans abuse. Um, you know, one of his big things was that the platform was you know, being too strict on cracking down on harassment and abuse of, of transgender users. And so there was a whole range of, of similar to the people that came back to sort of test the N-word. You saw a whole bunch of anti-trans people that had been organizing off-platform to come back and do a very similar thing. Let's start dead naming. Let's start harassing trans people in hopes that we could demonstrate that the platform was softer in their enforcement. And, you know, he invited it. And I, and I you know, when you get rid of the content moderation team, even if he didn't change any policies, which he's begun the process of rolling those back, the practice is the same, which is that you can't enforce your own rules because you have no people to do it. And, you know, that is, that's a, that's a real issue. So, so to be clear, the layoffs were people who would have enforced some of the regulation. Were they laid off for that reason or were they laid off because of money and, and advertisers leaving or both? I think that he, um, I mean, if you wanted a key, he laid off a lot of engineers and technical staff as well. I mean, it was almost half the company that he laid off. Um, the divisions that the content moderators, like the contractors that just got laid off were disproportionately moderators, uh, content moderators, content reviewers. You know, I think the, the layoffs were mostly across the board and were not really targeted in that way. Um, instead, though, he definitely focused on certain teams in the content moderation department, which would have been a factor. So where you saw 100% of the team going as opposed to 50% or 35%. Um, so there is parts of the content moderation teams that were entirely eviscerated almost overnight. Um, and then in other places, it was scaled down similar to the rest of the company. So it's sort of a both end. Um, and when come some cases, it was pretty standard. In some, in some more limited instances, he went universal on those departments and just, and just cleaved them out entirely. So uh, then there's this thing with the blue check. Now they started that they were going to charge yeah. people for the blue check. Uh, I never got mine. I've, I've kind of always been shadow banned on Twitter for some reason, even though I have thousands of followers, I tweet stuff, man, it just doesn't happen. Other people tweet for me and it goes viral. I tweet for myself. I don't know what that's about, but, um, I wasn't about to pay for no, uh, blue check. And it seemed like yeah. people. They had it for free, weren't willing to pay either. So they rolled that out and they had to pull it back, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And I think the one part about the blue check that I actually felt like didn't get got lost in the whole conversation was that, you know, if you have a blue, if you're a verified user uh, and you get reported for a bunch of content, you're less likely to have the auto filters apply to you. So, you know, meaning, you know, if you wanted to harass someone and sort of get them temporarily shut down, a bunch of, you know, if you, you know, you upset a bunch of right-wingers or a bunch of, they'll all report you. And of course, if you're not a verified user, their auto filters will automatically, in often cases, shut you down or suspend you until a human can come in and review it. And that's, and they say, oh, that was a mistake. We'll, we'll reinstate the account. If you're a verified user, the threshold for that auto application of the rules is actually a lot higher. So if you think about this from the perspective of misinformation, disinformation, and extremism, that means, to your point, a lot of people that don't want to pay for the blue check rightfully, and I, I certainly wouldn't either. That's absurd. But it also means it's much more likely to get shut, shut down because a bunch of people that I upset, Tucker fans or Elon Musk fans, they all report me for some tweet that they think is, you know, 
And that's it. I'm suspended until somebody can take a look. And right now with the blue check, it's a lot harder. The threshold is a lot higher. So that's one downside. But they did roll it back. And that this is an example where I think advertisers mattered. Because, you know, back in the day, part of where the verified thing came from was actually celebrities. Um, they were threatening to sue the company uh, for, not, for not doing enough to address impersonation. And in this case, they slowed it down because there was too much impersonation happening. It was exactly what was predicted. And it was costing companies significant money. There was susceptibility to lawsuits. And it was, in, it was speeding up the advertiser thing. So one example is, you know, Merck and Pfizer, big pharmaceutical companies, left Twitter pretty quickly. Uh, but Eli Lilly, which is another big pharmaceutical company, stayed as a fairly hefty advertiser. And then all of a sudden, they were the subject of that impersonation attack. They lost billions of dollars in revenue because of this blue check thing. And obviously, they walked away as an advertiser immediately after that happened because the proof was in, you know, they still experienced it. So, you know, I, I think part of what ended up happening here is that he had to throttle it back because the risks were so high and it was actually bleeding out whatever little bit of revenue that they had in terms of advertisers left. And um, it's, it, but it is a reflection of the chaos that we're experiencing. And it was all because he thinks that liberals saw it as a status symbol. I mean, that's the other part that's crazy about this is that he did it for revenge and spite. Yeah. Uh, so Eli Lilly has left. They um, have left. They have left. It's not left. So, and, I, and I saw you tweeting at Merrill Lynch. Where are they now? Have they left? They're still there. They're still with them. Um, but the part that I would say that's incredible about all this is that, you know, and we, we've talked about this. I do these things a bunch. And oftentimes when you reach out to companies, uh, you reach out to have a few dozen at least some will tell you the standard response, which is that we run ads to advertise to everybody, which is a very polite way of saying there's not a single company that we've contacted that has said no. They all either say they're assessing, reviewing, even the ones that are staying have not said we're staying. They're, and my gut says, and in some cases, that's what I've heard from a few of them, which is that they bought the ads already. They're just trying to ride out the next two weeks or three weeks, however long their flight is for their package to end, and then they're done. You know, they just don't want to walk yet because they spent too much money. Maybe it's, you know, um, you know, the shot thing that shocked me is when, when we reached out to Anheuser-Busch, they didn't say no. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, all of a sudden, two days later, they were announced as, as that they pulled. And I was like, I can't believe they pulled. You know, we were doing a due diligence to reach out to them. I didn't think they were going to actually pull their ads. Um, but I think that is an example of just how toxic the platform has become to business partners right now. And I feel like that's only that's only growing. Yeah, well, that's that's good. No. And he's he's blocked you. By the way, hasn't because he of the activism. Yeah, and I haven't even been tweeting at him much, but uh, yeah, he did, and I I totally understand why. I think that the part is this was all preventable. Um, none of the advertisers, nobody wants Twitter to fail. It's not like it's not like other platforms or other places where there's animosity. People want Twitter to work. You know, they want it to be better. They don't want it to be toxic. Uh, but I don't think there was anyone that at least at scale that was like we want to destroy this platform. I think the whole idea was that we want to try to keep it going and not let it turn into another right-wing place so yeah he is uh he did block me and i like i said i i get it i mean we've been sort of doing dual these dual events with advertisers where you know we'll talk to a big group and i noticed that all of a sudden he's talking to the same group or vice versa he does an event with three or four companies and we'll do one shortly after um he's not inspiring a lot of confidence right now uh, i will definitely say that much and when he was confronted by some of the advertisers about hate speech one of his responses was to say, of course, that's terrible, but I believe that 
almost everybody is good, uh, which is not usually an answer to, to that question. And then his other point was that everybody needs to learn how to ex engage with different perspectives and viewpoints and that forgiveness is important. Um, which, you know, like, and that's an, I mean, that telling a bunch of advertisers that say they don't want to advertise next to Nazis that forgiveness is important and that we all need to learn how to ex be exposed to different viewpoints does not exactly inspire, you know, the kinds of confidence where you want to move your dollars into it, you know? Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code OLDLINE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. So, um, as you said, someone to see at work, I mean, frankly, it's become so toxic. I don't know if I agree with that, but let me ask you yep. where, where is it now? Can it be salvaged or fixed? Is it worth it? Has it become too toxic? Even it's before Elon, into, it, even before Elon, it was getting crazy. It was getting very toxic. So it was, it, it was, you know, I'm really sensitive to Twitter globally too. You know, it's not very heavy in a lot of places. It's super influential in Japan and not toxic there. Um, you know, and, and that's one example where I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, it, it probably had become too toxic before, before, before Musk took it over. Um, but what I would say, and I think about it from multiple dimensions, um, one thing that the platform was really effective at is because it had a smaller user base and a more sort of like elite in particular, like reporter media elite type influencer base, it could be very effective at changing the whole landscape. So for instance, in 2019, None of the social media companies had banned deep fakes or manipulated media, which if you think about how much that would have been a crisis during the 2020 election, especially given all the misinformation there, it was, you know, Twitter was at the front of saying, hey, we're going to actually start to not just make it against the rules, but develop detection and we're going to enforce against it. That put pressure on Facebook to do it and YouTube. And there's lots of instances where Twitter, because of they were more sensitive to certain blowback from reporters, 
did things that changed other platforms. So even though Twitter was toxic and horrible day to day, some of the things they were doing structurally were actually creating pressure on their peers. There were things that would not have gotten done and that would have made the landscape worse. Same thing with you know some of the prohibitions on QAnon and other things. So I, I think big picture, the short answer to your question is, yeah, it was probably too toxic before then to be safe uh, in a meaningful way. They would have had to do a lot really quickly and that would have turned off users. Um, on the flip side, I don't know how we replace that vanguard capacity. So I, I kind of look at it from both directions. And um, and to the extent, and I don't know if that, that good they did in that one case outweighs all the harms, but what I would say is that there's a lot of big changes that affected the overall ecosystem that I, I don't feel would have happened if Twitter hadn't been pressured to jump out of the gate first because they were trying to cater to their users. Yeah, I, I, that, I think that's an, an accurate analysis. However, where we are now, what, what's your prognostication? Will it survive? Or is this thing just going to, is he just going to run this right into the ground? Can it survive without these advertisers at all? It can't, well, it can't survive without the advertisers unless he's willing to put money into it. Twitter doesn't have a business outside of these advertisers. Um, you know, 90% of their revenue comes from advertisers, uh, almost all of it. I mean, almost all of it. And it, it, he needs this revenue stream. He took out a lot of debt to, borrow, to pay for this company. He's got about a billion dollars a year in loans that he has to pay back alone in, in interest on the loans. I mean, it's, it's a hefty amount of, of, of cash flow he needs just to break even. So unless he's willing to put money into the platform, um, he, he's going to have a real cash flow problem pretty soon. Um, you know, we're on the tail end of advertisers who already bought in, so he's spending money that's already spent. Um, many aren't going to buy new ones. And that's, that's so he's really going to hit a cliff come January. Right now, he's still got some money in the bank because these advertisers are just walking out. But the cliff is there. Uh, so from a cash flow perspective, it's going to be a crisis. I, I think what you'll start to see is services continue to break down, and that's going to make more and more users decide to walk. Uh, I think it'll limp along for a while because there is a whole ecosystem of people that need Twitter um, and don't have an alternative yet. And so there'll be some pockets that continue to sustain. Um, but but it's going to be it's going to be a while for it to totally evaporate. But structurally, you're going to start to see down downtimes, outages. It's going to be a, it's going to break. And I don't, unless he was to hand off the company or to radically overhaul how it's being run right now, um, it's unlikely to survive in, in any significant way for a long, for in the long term. In the short term, I think people are writing it's obituary too early. I think it's, there's too many people that rely on Twitter that need it. And when that, you know, that really do uh, journalists, individual reporters, people that use that as their primary driver to, for engagement and influence, they will, they don't have an alternative and their, their followers, their fans, their audience doesn't have an alternative yet. And, um, they will build, them. that's what they're, that's happening right now. I don't think Mastodon will be the ultimate alternative, which is where a lot of people are moving. It's sort of an alternative Twitter. Um, but I think that it will be a, a increasingly speedy decline. Um, and users will slowly start to use it less and less each day. And then one day, poof, they just, they won't open the app on their phone anymore. But you alluded to something earlier in terms of what his agenda is and how yeah. he was part of this as, you know, Twitter is sort of a liberal too. Is that what he, is that maybe what he wants? Does he, oh, he want, wants, he wants to he answer. Yeah. You know, well, I think he wants to either turn it into a tool of, of sort of a, of, of, of right-wing infrastructure. And I think, I think, I think he has a plan. 
to some extent. I think his plan is very similar to plans we've seen in the past. And we shouldn't discount this. It's a real business plan. But hate sells. Hate can be very profitable. Right-wing nonsense can be very profitable. There is no mainstream right-wing platform right now. Truth Social is not a mainstream platform. Gab is not. These others are not. Twitter has a fairly large base already. There will people that won't just disappear. They'll slowly just stop using it less and less. There's a whole bunch of people that are joining the platform. That, that is true. He is increasing the user base. Some of it, a lot of it is bots. But that's not the case. He is welcoming back a whole bunch of people that were not welcome on Twitter. So the toxicity we talked about before, it's, gonna, it's getting a whole lot worse because a whole bunch of people that were not welcome are coming back. I think that he thinks, much like Fox News, much like we've seen with some of these right-wing talk radio people, that there is a, an audience for a more mainstream right-wing social media platform that, is gonna, that can serve as a balance to the reflexive liberal or leftist agenda that they perceive to have at YouTube and Twitter and, and uh, at YouTube and Facebook and elsewhere. And I would not be the least bit surprised if the types of videos they allow to be distributed be, look more like Rumble than YouTube, more extreme, right? Um, and, you know, and I think that in that case, you start to change your advertising. Can you bring in some of these right-wing funders, right-wing advertisers? you know, uh, that can help tailor to that audience. It's a, it's a, we're in the middle of, of a transition right now. He is transforming it. You know, when Rupert Murdoch started Fox News, right, and Roger Ailes, they didn't, Roger Ailes was running CNBC at the time. They didn't try, an MSNBC, he was, an, he was at NBC. They didn't try to turn NBC into Fox. They started from scratch, right? It's the same thing. We're in the middle of something where they're, that he's transforming Twitter into something different. Um, and, and that is relevant. And, you know, obviously the data is a real question. There's value there to some of these investors that he has and some open questions about privacy. That's why I say I don't think it'll look anything like the current, it has looked in a year from now. It may be alive, but it may look a lot more like Trump's platform or Gab or Parler than it does like the Twitter that, you know, we've all been used to. So lastly on Twitter, and then we'll move on. Is it, is it true that even the algorithms they use and this is even before Elon came, this uh, added to the toxicity. Um, my community, African-Americans, targeted more for disinformation than any other group. The, yes. it is, are, are there algorithms that actually promote toxicity and conflict? Is that the formula or, or is that it just is. an urban legend? Without a doubt. They were, that's not an urban legend. The data backs it up that, you know, that, that it was the rec their recommendation engines, which it counts to recommend after you, after you start to engage with content, the types of individuals that it would recommend would increasingly move you further and further down an extremist pipeline because you want to keep people on the platform and the way you keep, you keep engagement is that you give people a recommendation of something that they like, but that's even more distilled, more, 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 a more pure form or more extreme form of the idea that they were engaging with. And that's how you keep them. That's how you keep them focused. You know, somebody that only talks about, and it's the flip side too. It's just for the right wing and more extreme content, it tends to move people down that pipeline a lot faster. And that's what their algorithm promotes, the types of content at the top of their feeds and also who it tells them to follow. Um, and that's why it was so significant when they started prohibiting certain types of extremists from their platform, because it was intervening in that recommendation pipeline. But it was still the case that, that Twitter, much like the other platforms, consistently recommends um, uh, you know, more extreme content. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. 
by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As Lucara Sona on the state of Twitter, but before we go, we've not talked in a while, so I do have to check in. Fox subscriber. It's happening. That's it. Good timing. So we have a new fight coming up. It's the first real big one we're going to have since we've talked, actually. It's AT&T and DirecTV. Uh, they are, will probably start their negotiations in the next maybe week or two. Uh, they'll run for about six to eight weeks. So by early January. Uh, this is the fight. I think you're going to see a lot of action on this in the next couple of days uh, where people actually have a chance to to move the needle. My argument is pretty clear, and, and I think this is where we'll see some real impact. Fox is trying to get a big increase. My argument to some of the groups and organizations we're trying to engage on this right now is that we should go to DirecTV and we should say, don't give Fox an increase and cut their feet. Cut their fee by 50 cents. They would still be one of the most expensive channels. They would still be overpriced. But here's the calculus. You cut their fee by 50 cents. You could keep 25% of that. The company has profit. They could take 25% of that. They should put it into black and other owned, uh, other owned TV channels. Why? Because that's what they've been gutting. They've disproportionately moved money away from those channels over the years, right? We're talking channels that they were paying a penny or two a subscriber. They've been, they've been canceled, right? They could easily... Reduce Fox's fee. Fox would still be at the top. Split the difference 50-50. And my, my argument there is that it cuts away at the right-wing infrastructure, but it also, on, at the asymmetry front, actually builds up properties that, that actually benefit from it, that have an audience, that actually what's the whole theory behind subscriber fees is that you offer content that may not have massive audiences that can sustain entirely on, re on advertising revenue alone, but you still provide the product as a provider. And I think it's a harder pill for them to say, no, we're not going to do that, especially when the first recipients of Fox's strategy, the first, the first people who were harmed by Fox's strategy 15 years ago were, were increasingly Black-owned and, and other programs that serve, that serve minority constituencies. And the argument there is that it's a twofer, is that we're both taking away from Fox. They're still overpriced. There's no rational argument to keep paying that money. But the other side of it is that they shouldn't reinvest that money back into these channels. They'll benefit. They're starting to see some of that happening already in digital streaming and elsewhere where, where the properties are being built up. So I think it's too far. I think we should make that argument. I don't see a reason why we shouldn't. I think they should in some ways address what they mean. I can't see the argument for why they wouldn't do this, especially given that they're overpaying for Fox. It's in their interest to do it. Um, it seems like a win-win-win for everyone. And it also helps expand people at the table because they're, they're not just tied Fox in this case. They're also helpful, able to advocate for something that does real, meaningful, long-term power and communication building in, among the constituencies they represent. Yeah. Good. Good news. So, folks, stay tuned for that. We want to be in this fight. Angela, always good. We're going to, folks, we'll get, we've been away. We're going to get back together with Angela more regular. Yeah. We need that. 
Meanwhile, go to MediaMatters.org to stay informed about everything that's going on with media and, and really in other parts of our lives too, because media impacts everything. Uh, we'll be talking to Matt Gertz uh, in the next day or two as well. So Media Matters has always been uh, one of our favorite places. And I like to think that what Angelo continues to do, what I continue to do, what Matt continues to do, and everybody else uh, who does this work, particularly at Media Matters, is, is, is somehow upholding the memory of our friend Eric Bowler. Someone said to me just the other day, if, what, what would Eric, they would imagine, what would Eric be writing about right now? If he was still with us and I'm sure all the things we've discussed, these are the things. Yeah. He oh, yeah. 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 So God bless his soul. Angelo Carasone, president, MediaMatters.org. Thanks. Thanks, man. Yeah. Have a good one. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.